0: Welcome to Mission Daily. On today's episode, Stephanie sits down with Joe Chura, CEO of Dealer Inspire. Joe spent his career in the cars business, from working the assembly lines to building a tech company focused on digital experience specific for the dealership business. Today, Dealer Inspire supports thousands of dealerships and employs over 500 people. Keep listening to learn about Joe's philosophy on work, customers, and leadership. Mission Daily is created by the team at mission.org.
1: Welcome back everyone to Mission Daily. This is Stephanie Postles, and today I'm joined by Joe Chura, CEO and co-founder of Dealer Inspire. Joe, how's it going?
0: Good. How are you? It's great good. to be here.
1: Yeah, good to have you here. And where'd you come in from? Chicago. Yeah. Nice and actually it's not that warm here, so I can't be like, welcome to sunny California. You don't get that. This
0: well, time. it's it's snowing there, so this is a little better.
1: Yeah, I agree. So I would love to dive into your background to start this episode. Sometimes I flip it. We Sometimes I start with the company. Sometimes I start with the background. But you have such an interesting background that I wanted to start there with you of kind of like, what does the early Joe, the childhood look like the earliest jobs? Like, what are those memories that you have that brought you to today?
0: Yeah. So I, I was a fairly normal child, I would say. I really was into sports. And right around my sophomore year of high school, my parents were going through a divorce and I had to transfer schools. I was going to the school in Chicago called Mount Carmel, which is known for like uh, sports and so forth. And my parents couldn't afford tuition anymore from the divorce, so I got transferred to a public school. And it, my whole life kind of changed in my uh, my <laughs> my daily life. Instead of playing sports and basketball, turned into partying and and doing just a lot of silly things that a lot of kids find themselves doing. That continued on for a few years until uh, I was. I was about 19 years old. I, of course, had jobs up until that up until that point and so forth. But at 19, I found out I was going to be a father. And Whoa. yeah, oh my gosh. And um, to be honest, I couldn't even take care of myself at that time very well. And I was like, how am I going to take care of a child? What
1: would your parents say?
0: So, uh, you know, kind of going into my my father, after my parents got a divorce, took took a dark path in life. So he he wasn't there uh, to really give me much guidance, and uh, my mom was in the process of getting uh, remarried, so uh, they they obviously were were pretty surprised and shocked, yeah. and uh, it, I, you know, I felt alone, like I would have have to deal with this on my own. So, having looked at my father and looked where he was kind of going in his life after my parents' divorce, I said, "Hey, I can take two paths. I can I can try to make the most of this situation, or I can take." The other path where I see a lot of people do and make excuses and uh, not go down the the right path. So I knew one thing for sure: I needed a good job. Yep, <laughs> I needed good insurance, uh, and uh, I was lucky enough to know people and start on the Chicago assembly line at the Ford Motor Company at the time, and, and it still is now a good job. But at, at the time, is even a better job. The UAW benefits were and are great there. They um. Would have like a pay scale where it started at twenty dollars an hour and accelerate to twenty five dollars an hour within within a few years. So the time it was it was my best option. So yep. I started working on the assembly line and I was building the nineteen ninety eight Ford Taurus, putting it on nice. seatbelts and uh, door rubbers and and there's a whole crazy story of of how that went, but it was uh, it was a very challenging and and I give those that you know, those folks, a ton of credit. It's very, very hard work.
1: I was watching your, one of the interviews you did where you're talking about early days, first day on the job at the Ford assembly line, how you were just kind of like overwhelmed and sweating. And you're like, Ooh, that was like a hard day's work. And the, like, I guess your manager came in and was like, all right, that's the first half of the actual work for the day. But like, here's what the other half looks like. That's,
0: (laughs) That's exactly right. And then I went on break and I, and I was doubting myself and thinking, like, I don't know if I could do this. And I uh, ended up just just sticking through, just saying, like, I don't really have another option here. Like, I need to do everything I can because I need a good job. I need benefits. I'm going to have a, a child, for God's sakes.
1: Yeah. So then what happened?
0: So then um, my daughter was born in uh, November of 1998. So I started at Ford in May of 1998. And uh, I continued working on the assembly line. Then I found out that they would pay for some of my college. At the time, I had probably a year's worth of college under me. Um, right after high school, I went to Eastern Illinois University for a semester and then uh, came home and and went to a community school. So I took a little hiatus from school when I started Ford, but then really dove back into school. And as I was going to school, working on the assembly line, I would be so bored. I eventually got better at my job. So I, I was putting on door rubbers, um, what's called a B pillar, okay. plates, all of these parts. And what people may not realize is on the assembly line, the cars, they don't stop when they get to your station. They just keep going. It's 72 mm-hmm. cars per hour. So you're just doing this monotonous work.
1: That sounds, that would give me so much anxiety.
0: Yeah. And you, you're really a human robot at that point. So as I started enrolling in classes, I thought, well, why why don't I take the time in between building cars, even if it's a few seconds, to read my textbooks? Mm-hmm. And I I started doing that. I started reading a paragraph at a time in between building cars, and I would devour material. I mean, pages, chapters of material on a daily basis. I'm
1: sure you were the only one doing that. I'm I was. Guessing. <laughs>
0: I was the only one on the summit. Yeah, everyone's looking
1: like, man, Joe is super weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were. They were for sure. That's awesome. So what ended up happening is, it, years later, I mean, this wasn't like a, I was on the summit line for a summer or something mm-hmm. like that. It took me four years to graduate school, but I graduated magna cum laude. Yeah. I got one B because it turns out that is an incredible way to retain information. One paragraph at a time Mm -hmm. over time because as i would go back to these cars and build these cars i would just retain and listen and think about what i just read Yeah, because i didn't need to think about what i was doing
1: that's such a good reminder too because a lot of times i think people go for this all or nothing approach i can either start a book and finish it or nothing at all and they don't view it as that kind of like just read a paragraph a day read a page a day You'll probably retain more than just trying to like force yourself to do it all in a weekend or something, and it's not enjoyable.
0: That is one hundred percent true. And I, would, you know, I've, I've given many speeches since this. I've done this and grown and created a company, which I know we'll get into soon. But one of the things I say is nothing great is e- is easy. I mean, whether that's yep. losing weight or that is, uh, trying to complete a marathon or to build a business. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it, and it takes time mm-hmm. and it's these little bits of iteration over time and these little chunks of of energy and uh and reading these paragraphs and all of a sudden, you could cash in mm-hmm. right you've done all the work, and the additive value is so much greater than you could ever get from doing it for like a small period of time,
1: yeah, yeah, agree so. Then I heard you tried to get into marketing, but you weren't allowed to apply for the job because you were on the assembly line, and maybe it was like a ladder transfer type thing. You actually couldn't apply, and you applied under your co-workers' <laughs> email, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, so this uh, there's a whole lot of stories of trials and tribulations, but the the one thing I've I found myself with and the strength that I, I I I had and and that I've really kind of used over the years is tenacity. As I was going through school, I would, and definitely as I was approaching my bachelor's degree moment, I would go and meet with supervisors and even the plant manager, I, I would schedule meetings with them, or with him to to just see what else can I do at Ford. My job was, wasn't was to build this company that I, I ended up building, it was to Stay at four to be a supervisor, mm-hmm. to we're walkie-talkie to run that plant one day. Yeah. so I'd walk around and talk to these people and say, "Listen, I'm graduating school. I know all these jobs on the assembly line now. Give me a chance here." And I wouldn't say it fell on deaf ears, but they were like they were like, okay, okay, to the point where every break, every day, I would try and find these supervisors to talk to them about my career, and mm-hmm. they would like kind of run away from me. <laughs> so what happened one day is one of these one of these supervisors, this engineer named Willis Chin. He was a salary senior supervisor for the engineering team. Came up to me because he saw a job posting on the HR portal for this marketing manager position for Ford and in, in, uh, outside the plant, but not far away. And he, he said, Joe, come and take a look at this. So I went to take a look at the job description, and I was blown away. I was like, what? There's a, another... You know, there's another part to Ford in Illinois. You know, obviously knew there was, there was headquarters yeah. in Michigan and all that stuff. I had no idea that there was a marketing headquarters in Downers Grove, Illinois, which was maybe an hour away. So I went to, you know, really look at the details of that job. And there's this big apply button and I hit the button. And it asked me for my Ford, like, uh, salary ID or my mm-hmm. my email. And This is like the early 2000s. Yeah. They didn't give UAW employees an email address. So I could not physically apply for that job. I just couldn't. There was no mechanism. I couldn't put anything in there. So him and I were both like, yeah, that's such a bummer. You know, why don't they promote people? And the reality is there just wasn't a lot of people that wanted to move up yeah. at the plant. I'm sure people wanted to move up, but they just weren't doing the thing. So it wasn't the demand to even think of, hey, how, how do we take an Uh, an hourly UAW employee and give them the same opportunity within the Ford organization. So I started walking away from the conversation I had with Willis and I was like, I'm not going to let this opportunity pass up. So I turned back around and I go to him and I said, can I just apply as you and, and in the body of the application just put who I really am and say, this was the only way I could apply. And that's, and that's what happened. And I applied, I got a call and uh, I ended up getting the job.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, such a good lesson too, of like just because you get a no or e- not even a real no, a no in your head doesn't mean you have to stop. And yeah, I love that.
0: A couple of years ago after we, we, uh, it, yeah, I think it was like right after we sold, I, I sent Willis Chin a Cubs jersey because Cubs was his, uh, that was his favorite sports team. And I, I'll never forget that moment. It's, it's, it's amazing in life when you look at these pivotal moments and how they could have went a different way and you mm-hmm. can be in a completely different place. And that's another thing I tell people all the time is take advantage of every th- moment because it may not seem obvious or like it makes sense to you at the at the time, but it's really a series of like the Mr. Miyagi, yeah. like, you know, mentality of like, you have to like paint the fence and wash the cars and then all of a sudden things start happening. If you take advantage of every moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you just have to be aware too and look around at like what opportunities are actually right in front of you that maybe you're passing up. Because I think a lot of times, a lot of connections or friends or just things are presenting themselves, but you know, your eyes aren't open to actually see what's right in front of you. And it might feel like extra work or I don't want to take that on or any of that, but that might be your path in. So that's awesome. So what point, so now you have this new job that you ended up getting at what point did you decide, I want to do my own thing? And is that kind of how you got to Dealer Inspire?
0: There was a period of time where something else kind of pivotal happened. So I ended up staying at Ford for about 10 years from 1998 to 2008. Well, in 2006-ish, I I met my, who's now my wife. my She was at the time my girlfriend, obviously. And she had lived a different lifestyle than I was used to. And all of a sudden I started to look at money. And I started to look at money in, in a different way. Instead of and and I looked at kind of the crowd she was hanging out with and and knew that I could just do more. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't need to be them by any means, but I was just, I just wanted to do more. I wanted to make more money. So I got my real estate license. Cause at the time, this was Ford was going through a tough time. Mm-hmm. I was a very strong performer in marketing and sales, was getting you know, maxed out and everything I could possibly do. But they just had salary freezes. So I said, I'm not going to let that stop me. So I created JoeChur.com and I was selling real estate on the side. Nice. And, and I Sounds had, like a
1: good time to start selling real estate too. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. So I had like 10 listings, like my first six months, I had like three closings. I was like creating this side business that was really working. Mm-hmm. And my manager called me in the office, and and I had disclosed all of this stuff yeah. to, to the regional manager, the manager. Could you call me in the office? And he said, hey, listen, you know, pulled up my website. I was like, I'm getting flack from a lot of people on this. You know, you're going to have to kind of choose. And at the time, I was like, I can't be like hamstrung in terms of like my earnings and what I want to do in life. And I just felt like I was destined for more. So I ended up leaving Ford in 2008. I I met someone that had worked at Ford Motor Company before and was very successful in running car dealerships. And he said, "Hey, you want to kind of run one of my one of my uh, dealerships and be a be a partner with me?" And I looked at that opportunity and I said, "Yeah, like this seems like an amazing opportunity. There's unlimited potential there." So I I, I did that, and from 2008 to 2010, I I jumped on that train and. And I became a general manager and and I ran um auto dealerships. The thing I didn't know is as a Ford rep and with my background, I really thought I was prepared for that moment. And mm-hmm. and it turns out I I wasn't in a way. It's far different. <laughs> when you're dealing with kind of corporate, you know, your corporate peers and corporate life, and it's not you're dealing with a business to business business, right? Like Ford. I was, I was really when I was a marketing. And sales manager at Ford, I was working with dealers and, and I was selling them vehicles that they would end up selling customers. So I was dealing with the dealership, the owners, but not customers, mm-hmm. not employees per se. I didn't have any direct reports. So I went from a unionized, uh, or I, I went from a non-unionized like unionized type environment to a unionized type environment in terms of having, now being responsible for this whole dealership. So there's just a lot of lessons learned, and we weren't very well capitalized. There was a lot of lessons in cash flow, a lot of lessons in how you deal with employees and customers, and it really taught me how to run a business. That was a really defining moment in my life. the The irony is, I I wanted to with that group start an internet department, mm-hmm. and they just weren't strong believers in the time in the of internet that <laughs> idea. Well, they they hired an internet person, but you know at, at the time they just weren't strong believers in like in the vision that i had to to do things with the yeah. dealerships that they owned
1: got it so then you're like well time to just go out on my own
0: <laughs> so at 2010 i ended up having debilitating back issues and i had back surgery at th- at the very end of 2009 so it really ran into 2010 to the point where like i i it got to the point where i couldn't walk
1: wow you know was from the assembly lines it was work? from the
0: assembly line from playing sports okay. when i was a basketball player i could i could jump very high but mm-hmm. it took a toll on me later yeah. in life, you know, at that time. So I I had two herniated discs in my back. It was to the point where on my honeymoon in 2008 I couldn't walk a block w- with my wife. We were, wow. in, we were in Paris. I could, I I had to take a break every block. Yeah. I'd play volleyball with my daughter and I couldn't stand up for more than 30 seconds and it was just really bad. Yeah, it's horrible. So that and and the combination of the stress of, of that job at that time in and for any of those that know, like automotive 2008 and 2009 were not good years. Yeah, And I had done very well in at the first store they put me at, which was a Ford store. And they moved me to a general motor store. And the general motor store was in a, you know, it was a, it was a tough area. And it was just the whole the whole ticket was tough. And and, you know, looking back, I don't know that. I was destined to be a general manager at, at a car dealership, but I can tell you now that I'm far better off because I was. Mm-hmm. So then in 2010, I, I left to start a um, an internet department for a person I knew. I was his Ford rep back in the day. His name was John. Uh, he had two dealerships and just saw an opportunity with his dealerships. They weren't really following any processes. They didn't have an online marketing strategy. So I I went in there and I created all of that for him and I increased sales by like three hundred percent. Wow! In two thousand ten and and I said I could do this for other dealers and mm-hmm. I I met uh, two other partners and we created a company called Launch Digital Marketing with with that in mind and it was just to build like SEO services and SEM and not even SEM at the time it was just really SEO mm-hmm. to help dealers show up in search and help them drive traffic to their existing websites that that they had to help them in their business.
1: That's awesome. So that obviously started going really well because that was, you know, needed. I mean, still needed today. But so then how did you get into also starting another company, Dealer Inspire? Like if one's going well, what made you be like, eh, I should start another one on top of that?
0: It's a great question. There's a few things. When I first started Launch, really relied on the expertise of one of the partners in the business acumen and his history in creating businesses and so forth. And what I realized is that I needed to educate myself more. As I educated myself, I saw a big opportunity to create a separate entity that focused on on SaaS that was a C corporation versus uh, what we were at the time, an LLC. I wanted to have a different cap table. So I, I wanted to not just have a partnership between two people. I wanted to be a, have the flexibility to have stock options and do all of these things that I, I found important. Yep. And the, the irony here is that I learned all of it from a podcast. Which one? This Week in Startups. Oh, yeah. I used to listen, listen to that obsessively and watch it. And the lawyer I got to create dealer inspire was scott walker who is an advertiser on this weekend startup so those advertisers listening it works (laughs) like you had me i'm i that's pretty funny it was it was crazy so i basically went to the the partners at launch and i said listen i want to create this separate entity and uh you'll be a part of it and in some fashion but i want to open it up to a few others as well and that's that's really how it was it, it was created and the the thing in the back of my head that a lot of entrepreneurs don't know this, but there's something called the small business tax exemption rule. Okay. And basically, it falls in place if you're a C corporation and you have stock for more than five years. Mm-hmm. So if you hold stock for more than five years, and and this isn't CPA advice, so please yeah. talk talk to your CPA.
1: Yeah, don't, don't trust any of this. Just listen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if you have stock for more than five years and you have an exit and or, or you sell that stock, then the... A portion of that can be tax free. So I had learned that from listening to it was a conversation. I don't think it was on this weekend stars. So it was something else mm-hmm. when I was reading about like why would someone create a C corp versus an S corp versus LLC. So I said, well, as the CEO, I have to I have to do the best thing for the shareholders, and I think this is the best thing. Mm-hmm. So so that that's kind of all in essence why a separate entity was created to have a different cap table to be able to create the C corporation. And then the other kind of outlying fact is I went to a few dealers that I knew because I didn't want to, I wanted to stay away from anything that would look like commingling funds or anything funny like that, even though I was an owner of of the other business. So I raised, um, or I, I raised like a convertible note. That's mm-hmm. the only investment that we had. Yep. And I went to like five dealers and one said yes. And he was a Canadian dealer. Mm-hmm. So uh, in order for to have a Canadian investor, I need the C corporation as well. So that was right. those all those things combined kind of made it happen.
1: So explain to me. I'm curious now a little bit more about So you create a C corp because of the stock options and stuff. So then explain to me the tax thing again. Like if you hold those options that you created for five years and then you sell them. Yes. Yeah, you so, don't have to pay taxes on them, which a lot well, of people wouldn't sell their options in their own no,
0: company. No, no. OK, it, <laughs> so um, you wouldn't. They're not necessarily options. So when you create a C corporation, you have stock, you have issued stock. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so stock was issued to me. It was issued to the the other co-founders and, and so forth. That stock was issued at a certain point in time. If that stock that you own, if you hold it for five years, and you end up selling your company. Like I sold my stock to cars.com.
1: Okay, got it. So the sale was the trigger point.
0: The sale was the the trigger point. Yeah. That's what that I was like confused time. by. I'm like, yeah. well, the
1: convertible note, you don't have a valuation until you IPO or sell your. Yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah. So okay. the,
0: the convertible note thing was completely separate yeah. than than that. Yep. But yeah.
1: Okay, cool. Got it. Yeah, we did the same thing. Convertible note, very small route. Yeah. Small, small amount just to get us started. But I always advise people that route if you can convince (laughs) investors to do it that way. But that's awesome. So then you sold Dealer Inspire, I'm sure there's a lot in between, to Cars.com. Yes. What made you want to sell? What was that experience like? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, I have a company that I want to sell. That's like everyone. So no, not everyone, but a lot of people. So what was that process like? The
0: process was surreal. And it was surreal in the sense that I... (laughs) I didn't have when we sold a COO or um, a CFO. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of the guy that was doing it all. How many and employees did you have? At the time, we had 350 employees, I oh, will wow. say, by the time we sold. Okay. To put in perspective, we had three in 2013. So we grew pretty fast. So to, to get to your, your question, like why, why did we sell and, and how did that happen? We started growing so fast and we started getting a different kind of client. So we started going from the, the, the dealer to de- client, let's say. And we still have like all our clients are, are dealers. Mm-hmm. But the mechanics of billing changed. So that's, that's maybe said better. In that, we started to get into what's called an OEM program. The way that works is uh, a franchise like, let's say, Jaguar Land Rover. That was our first OEM program. If I was working with an individual dealer that was a Jaguar Land Rover dealer, I would build that dealer. That dealer would pay me. Probably within fifteen or thirty days. Mm-hmm. If that Google or, or if that dealer had Google like media spend, usually the dealers will put that media spend on their card, on their own credit card to get the points and so forth. And we would bill them management fees, our website fees, and so forth. And we would we would collect that within net thirty. So what ended up happening was when we were when we got approved the Jaguar Land Rover, the media spend that that dealer had had to be absorbed by us. And we went from getting paid with, you know, net 30 to 120 days. Yep. We went from one OEM program in 2014 to almost 20. By the time we sold, almost half of our business transferred to this kind of new billing method. Got it. And it was a very good thing for us. It wasn't It wasn't a detriment, but it was a detriment in cash flow. Mm-hmm. So when I was looking forward from, at our business, we were also to a point where I couldn't, I didn't have a savings account big enough to tap into that line of credit I had there as a reserve that I never really tapped into that was a million dollars. Mm-hmm. My payroll was, was more than that. We, we shifted to invoice billing from Google. So we'd get these millions of dollars of, of invoices that we needed to pay. And, and all in all, cash just became tougher and mm-hmm. we had to be very careful. So as I was looking at the, the, the business and the growth, if we were going to continue on this trend, I definitely needed to put capital in the business. Right after we were announced for the Cranes Fast 50, we were number five. Launch was not even Dealer Inspire. Dealer Inspire was too young to qualify. Okay. So Launch was uh, awarded number five in the Fast 50 companies in, in Chicago, essentially the, the, the fastest growing. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I started getting a lot of people that, that, that were coming to me and were inquiring about our companies and so forth. And And one of them was a kind of a wealth management advisor. And he asked if, if he could help in any way. I, I said, I need to talk to uh, like a, an investment bank just to see what my options are. And I really didn't want to do anything. I just want to see what what were we worth. So if I did have to raise money, then I would know, you know, a valuation from someone else that's that's unbiased from that yep. third party. So I, I met with an investment bank and we sat down and we put together like numbers from, from the last, you know, three years to our forecast going forward, probably about a year year or two. And a month or so later, they came back with a uh, valuation of our company.
1: Mm-hmm. It was, was it better or worse than you were expecting?
0: It was right in line with what I was expecting. That's good. And the reason why is because in the auto sector, you can look at peers. Mm-hmm. And we had a peer just sold, that had just sold for over a billion dollars a few okay. years before. So, Got it. so I saw, I saw their, their multiple. and I kind of understood what the multiple was in our, in our space. That doesn't always mean you know, you'll get that multiple by yeah. any means. So at that time, I... Had this valuation done, well, cars.com saw us on Cranes Fast 50. They're based out of Chicago as well. So the CEO reached out to me and we had a meeting at my office. And It was more of a get to know each other meeting than anything else. And that led into deeper discussions and so forth. And at the same time, ironically, I was trying to work with cars.com to get our chat product called conversations on mm-hmm. their platform as well. So all this stuff kind of serendipitously happened at the same time where cars.com a- approached me. I was already getting this valuation, just kind of exploring options. I didn't even know if I was going to go to market or not. I just wanted to get some data points yeah. on our business and the value of our business. And at, at that point... Um, the discussions kind of accelerated with cars.com. In fact, after we were in a meeting to show our product conversations to their dev team and I just had my devs with us, it wasn't like a business pitch or anything. It, it never even crossed my mind at that time that we would be in the in the spot we were 2 months ahead, yeah. right? But after I left that meeting, one of the business development people asked me for for a pitch deck or or a deck on dealer inspire because the board members needed more information. And I uh, I provided just kind of our marketing deck, and and I went to that business development person. I said, "Do you want me to add revenue numbers in here?" And I said, "Sure." So I added revenue numbers. So the board not only saw like about Dino Inspire, but they saw our growth. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I always made sure we did is never had a month or a quarter that was lower than the quarter before. So if you look at that and you plot that out on a graph, from it looks great. <laughs> it looks great for five years, right? Yeah. So. So that that's what was given to the the Cars team. So that led into a second meeting, a third meeting and and the story goes on from there.
1: Yeah, that's great. So after cars.com bought cuz they bought Dealer Inspire and launched digital marketing.
0: They did. Right. Yep.
1: How did you structure it so they would buy both of your companies?
0: It's funny cuz it was September 28th, my anniversary in New York when I got the call 2017 that that they wanted to purchase both companies. Well, they wanted to purchase Dealer Inspire mm-hmm. and so we had that conversation, and we were about to hang up. And I said, "Wait, wait, wait! What about launch? Like, do you want to buy launch too?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, launch too." So uh, it was um, that makes sense. The businesses are both in auto, well different. There's a lot of similarities and so forth. We had that conversation, and that led into pre diligence uh, on both companies, which we built our whole all our accounting was in QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the time, so we had yeah. this, by the time we sold, I think the business was, you know, $40 million.
1: Working out of QuickBooks.
0: Working out of QuickBooks. <laughs> I had so many hacks in QuickBooks and these BI tools connected to QuickBooks yep. and looking at free cash flow in QuickBooks and using Fathom. And and I, I did everything I can to be as resourceful as I could to get information. The pre diligence led into a series of meetings that led into uh, Halloween, which obviously just, just happened a few weeks ago. Uh, of 2017, me, me, the CEO and the CFO in a room uh, talking about the the deal.
1: And so, how have things changed now from now that they've, you know, acquired your company and you're part of them now? What is, what's the difference?
0: Overall, it's been fantastic. We went from a very liberal, kind of fast paced startup company, and now we're part of a public company but it's been it's been great. They have truly kept to their word and not only have we been able to grow and 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 they keep investing in DI. I'm I'm on the executive team of Cars and I get to really help with their products and I get to help them with their dealer solutions. And I and I get to play with data that I never had before. Mm-hmm. So Cars.com it's 24 million visitors on a monthly basis. The audience is incredible. And they have so many amazing people at that organization that I get to, to now like take the vision of here's how cars can look and here's how DI can look. And here's this platform that we could build together and make it and start making it happen. So it's been a lot of fun. You know, the biggest difference is, of course, like when you go from a company like ours to a public company is finance. I mean, yeah. but the best thing. About this whole thing for me is that I don't even know how to look at the bank anymore.
1: Whereas, <laughs> Which is probably relieving, not having to worry about it. That. Is
0: unbelievably, I I don't even know our balance. Yeah. Every single morning I'd wake up. Yeah, same. Stressed. <laughs> I developed eczema because I had so much stress. Like yeah. my my weight was horrible. My blood pressure was horrible. I was unhealthy because I I felt the responsibility of all our employees Mm -hmm. and it's hard to quantify to someone because they just see the the outcome of everything that happened. Right. And you know that you're going through it. Right. But to wake up and to have that and to have that those massive bills in this 350 person company that's counting at you on a daily basis Mm -hmm. I could not risk that. And that is why I think when I look back I wouldn't change a thing in terms of who I sold the company to what happened when it happened I think it was all meant to happen because now they're cars is a very like profitable company great cash flow and and they're truly doing what what they said they were they were going to do
1: yeah no that's great i think so important to remember to pick the right partners when you do you know whether it is selling your company or just going into business with someone finding a co-founder anyone finding someone that you trust that you know is going to keep their word i mean that makes all the difference because you've definitely heard or i have at least out here companies getting acquired and then just kind of being pushed over to the corner and, you know, not really being really part of the executive team or the vision or anything. And that's really nice to hear that there still are good companies out there who keep to what they say and, you know, tell you this is how it's going to be. And then you actually experience that on your side. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. And it's really cool, too, because on the quarterly earnings calls, let's say, I mean, you could just read them like, not only is dealer inspired mentioned but our inventions are i had an invention called roxanne that was event-based attribution as an example that's been a catalyst for cars to prove the value that we knew existed but it quantifies it in a way that they couldn't before so to hear those names that you just created yeah. come up in these earnings calls to affect a public company it's just incredible
1: yeah that's- I'm sure that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> listening to that and be like, how many people are listening to this right now? And they get to hear my one funny pet name that I thought was maybe interesting at the time. Well, now it's on like a public call.
0: That was like such a funny moment when I named that that product. And to hear that come up years later, I never would have had that foresight that, that would have that, that would happen.
1: That's great. So how has family and, you know, having your daughters and all that kind of stuff impacted, you know, building up your companies and just your life in general? you know, being a CEO and all that, what does that look like?
0: Yeah. So I'll say that when I was growing the company and and I still am, but at the, at the time of from startup to where I got it to before we sold every single night after the kids went to bed, I would work on my computer until my computer died. That was my rule. Mm -hmm. I took on my laptop and the newer the computer was, the longer it would be.
1: And and
0: did I it start at 100%? Yes, <laughs> okay. I started at 100%. And I work until my computer died on a nightly basis. And that was my rule to shut down. Very seldom did I, did I charge it again. Mm-hmm. That being said, as you probably know in creating a business, what I missed there is even the times I was with my kids, I wasn't present. Yep. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I was there, but I wasn't there. That went on for a long time. Luckily, uh, and I have three i have 3 children. My My daughter... Never lived with me. So, going back to my 21 year old now, who yep. is thriving. She's in California. Fantastic kid. She works for our company yep. now. She was on her BI team. Like, like she's great. She wasn't as uh, she was impacting in a way, but she didn't live with me. My my two young young children, uh, Morgan and Grayson. Now they're they're seven and nine throughout you know when they were when they were babies and beyond it was uh it, you know not being present there luckily they were they were too young to probably remember that yeah. but i remember that mm-hmm. i don't know if i could have done it any other way but it was it's definitely a sacrifice so fast forward to now the, now they're a priority mm-hmm. now it's like i have to be there yep. for them what's life about if it's not for your family and your friends and being present in these moments mm-hmm right? Mm-hmm. And I see that clear as day. So, especially to to get to where we got to, and, and you know, my story is not, not going to be over by any means, but like, if I didn't stop and say, okay, I got to really start to be present more and embrace life a little bit more, mm-hmm. then what's what good is it?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's so important. Our son's name is also Grayson. Oh. <laughs> and oh. yeah, I think that's something very good to remind, you know, everyone of, even if you don't have kids, is like, can be in a struggle you can be building your business and doing all that stuff but yeah making sure that when you do take the time on the weekends or in the evenings to be with your friends or significant other or family like yeah being present is key because you will probably look back and like I know even I look back on some weekends and I regret not being fully there while he's you know playing in the corner and being super cute and like trying to get my attention and I'm trying to send an email out on my phone and like You know, I I get that mom guilt where I'm like, oh, what was I doing? Like, it wasn't that important. And I think that's, yeah, such a good reminder for anyone who's building a business or even working at a company or anything. Like, anyone can be experiencing that. So to wrap this convo up, if you were to have one piece of advice for other CEOs, entrepreneurs, people in the struggle, what would that be?
0: Nothing great is easy. And you just need to keep going. You need to talk to people that have kind of been there and just know that it's it's challenging for a reason so don't give up also have common sense i think one of the one of the things you you need to have is extreme common sense when you're building a business because you're gonna get you may not be the best finance guy you might not be the best product person but you just need to have common sense and surround yourself I know it's cliche but the right people around you that believe in you and give back to them
1: yeah i love that very wise advice Joe, it's been such a pleasure. Hopefully next time you're in town, we can uh, get together again and yeah, enjoy your trip to Napa.
0: Thanks so much for having me. All right, thanks. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio and Katera who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right.